Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Behind your Thank you so much for tuning in. And this is a special emergency breaking news podcast today on Stop and Search. We're going to be speaking about the breaking news that is Scotland and the Scottish government are proposing some massive widespread drug law reforms. And these include decriminalisation, drug checking services, diamorphine assisted treatment, safe consumption rooms, and so, so much more as well. This is really exciting. We're going to be speaking to two Leap UK stroke Leap Scotland members that have done so much work on this behind the scenes. And they are Ian Andrew, who's a retired police inspector, and Simon McLean, who's a best-selling author, as well as a retired drugs detective, and he was on the serious organised crime squads, the surveillance squads, you name it, he's done it. We're going to be speaking to them on why this is so exciting, what they've done to, to keep things stoked up. So if you want to find us on the socials, please do at... Leap UK is our Twitter and Instagram. UKLeap.org is our Facebook and website. And please do find Leap Scotland. Go find them at Leap Scotland, which is their Twitter and Facebook. And on that note, let's get straight into this. This is a rough and ready one because we're just doing this as quickly as we can. Fairly unedited, as you can probably hear. So forgive us, but this is worth it, isn't it? Breaking news. Scotland are going for it. Thank you so much for joining me, Simon and Ian. It's been incredible the last couple of weeks to witness what's been going on. You've been doing so much work behind the scenes. Uh, let's get straight into this. So as we're recording this, we're on a precipice of something big. Uh, Ian, I'm going to come to you straight away. What, what What's happening? Why are we having this discussion today? Because the Scottish government would appear to have stepped up. They're bringing forward policies that will actually make a change uh, in in the line in relation to drugs, we're now uh, looking at having safe consumption rooms, decriminalising the use of drugs, drugs testing uh, for drugs on the street, uh, all stuff we have been asking for, and it would appear it's been brought forward in this policy. Simon, you've been doing this for a fair few years as well, obviously best-selling author as well. What's it like from your perspective having dealt with the media, but also your policing background, we've actually got somewhere. How does this feel? It feels absolutely fantastic. It also feels like the start of something, Jason, not the end of anything. It feels the main thing, and I know we talk about drug cartels, we talk about organised crime, we talk about 
safety of communities and safe consumption. But the main thing for me in the report uh, from the Scottish Government is they talk about collaboration. They talk about speaking to other parties. To We know as the, the law enforcement partnership, we've got over 400 partners fighting their battle with us to have our antiquated drug laws reformed. And it seems to me for the first time that we might be able to get around the table and talk as adults about the actual issues here and not the politics behind it. Why, why did you come into this from, from a position of reform, Ian? What was it that led you to go, oh, actually, I'm in my retirement, but I still need to be out there doing something in public advocacy. Why this issue? Um, part of it, I'm, I've always been, uh, shall we say, a critic of the 71 Misuse of Drugs Act. It's never worked. It was brought to my attention within a few days of joining the police in 1976 when we were locking a young man in a cell that was a troubled person. And the senior officer I was working with said, that laddie shouldn't be in there. He needs help. And for me, straight away, that brought in, this man is telling me that the policies aren't working. And they're only a couple of years old, which effectively they were at that stage. Uh, I've come from through 32 years policing, retired from the police. And this is a way where I can voice what so many police officers are actually thinking. Because that is a big problem, that police officers are not able to speak out. Uh, we recently had an international event where we meant to have one speaker, and he actually had uh, pressure put on him not to speak because he would have been criticising his country's policies. And that's across the board that happens here. Police officers cannot speak out, despite the fact the vast majority of them recognise that it isn't working. And you have had that, haven't you? I won't drop any lanes, but you have had Chatham House rules, embargoed conversations where people agree with you and people have seen your position as well. Of course. I, th- I think I think we all have. Uh, I've sat with uh, senior officers, uh, I've spoken to them and basically listened to them sound off and then have to say to me, but obviously that has to be off the record. Jason, we've noticed a big difference not just with the politicians, which is what we're really addressing here because of the Scottish Government's new stance, but we've spoken at the Superintendents Association, Ian and I, uh, twice over the last three years, and we've noticed a big difference in that time. The first time we spoke to them, we used our platform, our half-hour platform, to ask them to do one thing, really, and they didn't object to it. We spent the whole half hour building up to it, but at the end of that, the thing we asked them to do that could help create safer communities and actually deal with the problems that our drugs uh, market is causing, we asked them to tell the truth. Because we were sick of seeing senior officers on the news or in the press and the media extolling the big seizure that they had made or the big recovery or arrest that they had made sometimes a very substantial amount of drugs. But we got them to admit, really, that that wasn't the whole uh, story right there. What they had actually done was make not even the slightest dent of scratch in the drugs market, but they had made communities less safe, which is exactly the opposite of what we asked them to do. And this year, when we spoke to them just a few weeks ago, Ian and I could both see a change in attitude that they now realise 
that the current drug laws and the enforcement and prohibition are totally unfit for purpose and actually do the opposite of what we want them to do and what they were supposedly designed to do. So in, in a minute, we're going to go through what is actually being proposed. But before we get to that question, on the back of what you just said there, Simon, what was it like when you heard the reaction or what was it like your reaction when you heard the news that this is being pushed ahead, that we're actually getting some progress? Well, Ian phoned me about it. He messaged me and then he phoned me because I was busy and I thought he'd been, I thought he'd been on the drink again. I thought he'd misread it until he sent me it. Um, I was a bit sceptical. I should also say that the reason he got involved in LEAP is nothing altruistic like he's talking about. It was actually a chance to work with me again. <laughs> last work in 1980. It's all coming out now. <laughs> well, what? Worked with him for two years and then I tried to avoid him for 30. <laughs> I went undercover to get away from him, Jason. Perfect. <laughs> Write a new book on that. <laughs> and that's how I got involved with Leap. I'd never heard of Leap. And although Ian said that about back in 1980, it was something that was never discussed. We just got on with our jobs, as police officers do. And it was only when I wrote my book, The 10%, that a chap, Sean Atwood, interviewed me on his True Crime uh, YouTube channel. And he introduced me to Leap. He, he realised my attitude towards uh, our drug laws. And he put me in touch with Neil Wood and uh, the rest of history, as I say. And, and, and what history it now is. Yeah, so thank you so much for getting involved, yeah, because you've made a massive difference. Oh, yeah, because Simon, Simon then came to me, funnily enough, to get permission to put my name in his book. And and uh, told me about Leap, and that's effectively where I came into Leap. So, Ian, you, you rang me. Uh, I think you got to me before you got to Simon because Simon wasn't answering. Um, what And I could, it was a bizarre phone call for me because it was I've been in this for 12 years now, and it's the biggest news that I've had. It was, it was one of those moments of, like, I don't know what to do. So what is it like from your perspective of hearing what's being proposed and the, the emotional attachment to it. Well, you may be aware, the first thing I did was I apologised I was going to swear uh, when I came on the phone uh, because it was it was just such a big thing. I mean, and, and it was. And it was basically words along the line of, you know, we're getting somewhere. We're, it's moving. Something is actually moving. For so long, we have been effectively pushing and then suddenly in Scotland we started to find all the doors open. Uh, we're pushing against open doors and we're talking to folk and folk are saying, yeah, you're talking sense. Uh, and uh, to suddenly get this to move, don't get me wrong, it's not perfect. It's possibly been watered a little. Uh, but even having a, a conversation about a fully regulated market, uh, I mean, that Personally, I would have liked to have seen them come forward and say, we're going to have a fully regulated market, but you can't have everything. I'm certainly not going to look a gift horse in the mouth here. It's certainly progressional steps. And, and, and while we're on that subject to steps, what is being proposed? What what are we looking at? We are looking at quite a raft uh, that they're bringing forward. Uh, they're looking at basing drugs classification on harm, uh, about re reclassifying the lock zone to allow greater availability in the community, to bring in drug checking so that uh, 
people who have drugs can get them tested to be sure they're taking what they think they're taking. Bringing in safe consumption rooms, which is a massive step. Uh, the expansion of the heroin pilot that's presently running in Glasgow. A simplified licensing system at present in Scotland, they have to get permission from Westminster uh, before they can license premises such as the heroin treatment centres or safe consumption rooms. Decriminalising all drugs for personal use and having a full consultation and, as I was explained to me, a grown-up conversation on a regulated drug market with interested bodies and uh, with a citizens' forum. Simon, from my perspective, all, all of it is obviously incredible. But one of the things that really stands out is decriminalisation for all people in possession. That is going to be huge, I think. And from someone that's that was out there enforcing this, what's your reaction to that point? I think it's incredible. I think it... Well, we're in a week, as I was saying, we've been on the defensive for so long. Um, and now we're not on the defensive. We can now cross the threshold, I think, and accept that there's a majority of people uh, realise that things have to change, that the status quo isn't working, hasn't worked, and has actually fueled the problem over the last 52 years. So for personal possession, I think that's one of the most important items here, the spokes uh, of the, the whole wheel that makes up um, uh, our, how we address the problem. Because what we do just now is criminalise people immediately. If someone's in possession of whatever class of drug, they immediately become criminals in the eyes of the law. And that dictates everything thereafter. We were talking about uh, safe consumption. We had a guest on, on one of our events from Copenhagen, a senior police officer, and we discovered that their safe consumption rooms are not just places to take drugs. A, you take real drugs that you understand where they've come from and what they are, and, and B, you're supplied with safe equipment, they're not sharing equipment or whatever, so it's a safe place for consumption. But there's much, much more to it than that. Because anyone who's thought about this problem uh, in any depth at all realises that the, the people who are using drugs and becoming addicted to drugs have got problems in their lives. They're the 10% of the homeless, of the of abused, of, of people who have had less life chances and have resorted to drugs through a whole variety of reasons, including severe trauma. And what the, their consumption rooms in Copenhagen do is provide things like washing machines, where they can get their clothes clean. They'll provide a hot meal, perhaps, or facilities to prepare. They'll provide community of other people with similar problems. And they'll provide counselling for homelessness, for benefits, for all the reasons we know, or, or for abuse, for people that have been abused, all the reasons we know that people get into these predicaments in the first place. So what they're doing is providing signposts that can help people make different life choices, which is what we all want ultimately. Which is incredible, isn't it, Ian, that you know, presumably you, you signed up to the police service to serve the community and make the community safer. And what Cyrus just outlined there it does make things safer, just not through the criminal justice system. So when you look at the proposals, what what comes to mind for you? What do you hone in on and what springs to mind? The well, I think what comes to me is that 
that it is it's not it's never going to be solved by one agency at present it's a case of it's drugs give it to the police it's all about enforcement there is no other option every agency has to be brought into this health social care yes the police criminal justice everyone has and, and to me that's the important thing that everyone works together to come to a solution one of the big, biggest successes we had in scotland started in my old force, Strathclyde Police, and that was violence reduction. And what they did was they tackled the causes of violence. Not violence. It wasn't about going out there and arresting the, pe the young people in the streets. It wasn't about stopping search. It was about tackling the causes of the violence, why young people get into violence. With drugs, it's exactly the same. We have to tackle the causes. We have to look at mental health issues. We have to look at social issues. We have to look at abuse issues. Uh, that's why people get involved with drugs. Drugs aren't an illness. We've, we've had this myth for so many years that drugs are the problem. By saying they're a problem, we take away that this is about people, ordinary people. The problems uh, behind drugs, uh, drugs are a symptom. They're not the illness. They are a symptom of other problems. Uh, I've yet to meet someone where there wasn't something behind why they actually take drugs. I, I, I recall that the late 70s, when I, when I joined the police, it was a time of optimism. I knew I'd get a job when I when I dropped out of my studies. I knew I'd get a job. Uh, it was a time of optimism, and we were looking ahead to a good life. But the mid-80s, uh, I should have said, at the end of the 70s, drugs weren't a major issue where I was working. By the mid-80s, uh, drugs had increased exponentially because unemployment had increased at such a rate. People who were looking forward to a relatively prosperous life suddenly felt they had nothing. And they turned to something to escape even for a little while. And holding below, we'd been telling them for years on television and the news and that, how to escape. We'd been advertising it for the criminals, and that and that's what happened. And 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 from then on, it has just increased. And Simon, it's, it must be interesting from your perspective uh, to again reiterate what he has just said of the wider societal aspect of this. You know, we always hone in on the drug itself, but as you just outlined with with Copenhagen, this is about broad societal position, isn't it? This is about all the other things that come into play. So your reaction to, to, the, to the news with how it may impact society positively? It's very interesting because obviously we speak to people all the time. We speak to a lot of police officers, serving police officers and retired police officers. And the serving police officers can be problematic because they're blinkered. Because we're taught throughout the recruitment process and throughout our training and throughout our career, with senior officers uh, watching our every move, that we're law enforcement officers. That's what we do. So there's a dogma there to protect the, the way things are. And if something's in law, criminal law, then it must be right, because I'm being asked to enforce it here. But I can see even that changing now uh, as we move forward. A cop said to me a few weeks ago, Simon, are you saying that my kids should be able to go out onto the street and just buy whatever drug of choice they want. And I said, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. 
you haven't listened to the part I spoke to you about regulation. In fact, what you've just described to me is exactly what's happening right now. Your kids can go out and buy their drug of choice. The trouble is they don't know what they're buying. We know they're buying it from a criminal who doesn't care a jot about them. And we don't really know what they're buying and putting into their bodies. So these changes uh, in society are, are, are driven by the changes of all of us as individuals. We go and speak to Rotary, we go and speak to pro-biz clubs, we speak to anybody really. Uh, and we can sense that change. Uh, there was a Westminster demonstration a few weeks ago, and I think I read that there was a sense of change there too, at the UK Parliament, that the individual politicians themselves are starting to realise, because there's nothing we're saying here that's not evidence-led, Jason. We've got all the evidence in the world to, to prove what we're saying. Uh, it just so happens that the UK are lagging. Scotland are actually catching up now from the attitude of our Scottish government, and it's Westminster that's holding us all back from joining the modern world. Uh, and a thing that we call up here is smart justice, where the courts, the solicitors, the whole justice system, the prison service buy into the, the truth that people who come into this system uh, need directed elsewhere through support and help and not criminalised in Britain prison. That was going to be my question, actually, and I'll put it to both of you. I'll come to Ian first, but now that Scotland have made these you know, tangible decisions, how do you think this is going to play out with Westminster? Do you think it is going to put some pressure on? Do you think that Westminster are going to kick back on it, both in terms of their own domestic policy here, uh, but also what they, I'll use this uh, recently, what they allow, what happens in Scotland, how is it all going to shape up, do you think? I don't know how Westminster will react. Um, the, I expect a degree of pushback. Uh, what is interesting to me and what I was told uh, about how this can be achieved, one of the options the Scottish Government see for achieving it is by fully supporting Westminster if they bring the policies forward. Now, Again, until very recently, you wouldn't have heard the Scottish government say that, but this is sufficiently important that they have removed it from all of their other agenda and uh, they, they're tackling it separately. So they wish to drive this, whatever happens, they wish to drive this uh, forward. The Simon touched there as well. I was just going to touch something that Simon said about police training. I was uh, really found it positive recently when I was told the police in Scotland are now getting training on dealing with on stigma, on how to talk to people who use drugs and how to talk about people who use drugs. And every police officer in Scotland is going to be carrying naloxone. At the end of the day, their duty is to preserve life. And there's no easier way to preserve life than to use naloxone. Uh, there was pushback when it came in, but it seems to be been rolled out right across the country now right across Scotland. Uh, so it's all positive. As to Westminster, I think anybody's guess is as good as mine. I honestly don't know how they'll react. Uh, politically, I suspect I can get a, a good guess that they will push back. But I certainly hope that they will allow Scotland to run with this one. There could be some circumvention there, Jason, uh, that... Although Westminster, as you eloquently put it, might not allow us to do these things, 
they have no control over our court system, over our criminal justice system. We take great pride in this country that our legal system is not politically influenced, certainly on paper anyway. They also don't control our sentencing from the Crown. Uh, and there's lots down that pipeline that, that they don't control. So if our, if our campaign can now focus on the prosecution service, either in Scotland and down south, that smart justice that I spoke about, we had, we had drug courts in Glasgow, which were very successful, and it's been assessed just now, uh, which were particular courts with particular uh, trained uh, sheriffs and judges. Uh, that could direct people in different directions. And we've had a solicitor with Leap Scotland uh, on speaking to us about how he addresses these issues now in court and can direct uh, the, the sheriff towards different options that he has without sending someone to prison necessarily. So there's lots going on that doesn't nobody can allow us to do it because we're saving lives. I think, I think one of the things... We, we haven't acknowledged here, and, and it's important to do so, is that the Scottish government are due all the accolades for what they're, what they're doing and the steps that they're taking towards uh, dealing with these issues. But there's a very uh, dark spotlight been put on these issues in Scotland, and that's a tragedy. Through us having the highest drug death rate in Europe success, in successive years, so although it's welcome and fantastic that they're moving in this direction, is that what it's going to take elsewhere for the governments and for politicians who are tasked with looking after our communities and making all of our lives safer? Is that what it's going to take for them to look at these issues properly and use the evidence that we keep providing them with to change these draconic laws? This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
that's a really good point and i'm going to hand it over to you actually Ian, because that was going to be one of my questions is what's it going to take and the fact that scotland have now got movement and this is only the first step you know i i it very rarely is the case that progression and, and momentum goes the other way. It chances are it always goes one way, which is the positive direction from this point. Do you think that we might see Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, the regional assemblies of mayor uh, systems? Do you think that we can start to see more localised approaches there? Yes, I do. I, I think I can see that happening because we each have our own issues. We each have a, each country within the UK has their own issues that have to be dealt with. There has to be a, a situation where they can take control of these issues. I know in Wales it's much more difficult because the entire legal system is England and Wales. But certainly Northern Ireland, again, you're sitting with a, a different system uh, and they can seek change. I've no doubt uh, with this announcement that the other devolved governments will sit back, look at it and consider it fully. And yes, I can I can see them seeking change. If they can look at it, look at the evidence that's being presented and say they could change in the same way, then I think they will. If I could draw a parallel here, Jason, that, that just came to me recently. I was chatting uh, to someone that we do a true crime podcast and uh, we were chatting about capital punishment. And he's written a story about a famous woman who campaigned to end capital punishment for a long, long time. And the way the end of capital punishment came was fascinating because the law didn't change. It was still uh, hanging for certain offences and it was still common until it began to get watered down regionally because judges stopped sentencing to death. And that was through local pressure uh, being brought by communities that were no longer happy to see people being hung in the gallows, whereas it had been a public event that you paid to go and see uh, in years gone by. And the law was still there for four or five years after their last hanging took place in the UK, and eventually the law was defunct and was allowed to drift away. And that's really what's going on here, and it might be what we uh, succeed with over the next few years is to see the courts and the, the justice system recognising that what they're doing isn't working, despite the law being in place. It's, it's a really good point, and it's where certainly grassroots movements could come in to make sure that we keep that momentum built and propped up. And it's the it's the strap line of, of, of leap of working with communities for drug law reform. As you mentioned, that you have worked with broad spectrums. The work that Leap Scotland done has been incredible. We are the the, the devolved branch has been quite quite loose still, but you've achieved so much already. It's, it's put the rest of us to shame. It's incredible. So from this point on, uh, we've got momentum. Uh, how do we keep it uh, sustained? What what can we do from this point? Frankly, we have to keep pushing the snowball. We have to we have to get it to go to get larger and larger. We have to remain engaged in Scotland. We have to remain engaged with the Scottish government. Uh, because we have to move towards regulation. Uh, we have to support them uh, if they're having issues. And that, that that's where we would look to, our, shall we say, our southern brethren and leap as well, to maintain the pressure on Westminster to allow Scotland to do this. I mean, this could be a massive learning curve for the whole country 
not just for the whole country, this could be a massive learning curve for the whole of Europe and the world, uh, if it can be done right. And at the end of the day, as Simon said earlier, there's so many steps in this, there is so much to be done. This, this isn't a silver bullet, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, that, that, that is one of the biggest uh, courage of politicians here, is this is not something that's going to improve their uh, their chances in the next election because it's not going to be resolved by the next election. Uh, they are actually taking this as a step that must be done whatever happens. And that's what we have to keep driving forward. We have to keep this moving and, as I said, keep the snowball rolling. Just a, a wee word there, Jason, which, which doesn't come easily to me. Uh, and don't it will never happen again, I'm quite sure of that. But I have to congratulate Ian because it's over the last three or four months that that pressure and engagement with our politicians uh, has just tipped them over the edge, in my opinion. And uh, for the first and last time, I'll say well done, Ian. <laughs> and it's so true that the work that goes on with Leet Scotland, Leet UK, uh, Leet uh, in, in global perspective, the work that goes forward in public outreach and comms is only a small part of it. It's it's everything that goes on behind the scenes as well. We've got some networking stakeholders collecting up all the dots, and that's what you've been brilliant at doing. The, you've been going to so many different meetings and conferences, and that in itself, joining up all of those kind of players, has made this impact that we've got now. You both have mentioned cross-party support. Is that going to be key as well? Do we need all parties to put party politics aside and go, actually, no, we need a societal difference now? Yes, that, 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 that's what's important here. This, this is one area where, which is far too important uh, for party politics. Uh, they must look at their own communities. They must look at what's happening in their own communities and make their decisions based on that. Uh, it's... It's too far gone now for us to start point scoring, which is what invariably happens uh, when it gets into a chamber. They all start trying to point score. That's not what this is about. This is something that must be done. Change is long overdue and it must happen. If not, our death rate is going to continue. And we, that, that's just not acceptable. Uh, in this day, day and age, just far from acceptable. I think one of our main uh, purposes and one of our main successes, Jason, is that we combat the rhetoric. Because rhetoric is easy politics, it's lazy politics, and it buys into the way we've always done things, so it must be right. Going right back to the 1970s with the Just Say No campaign. And we can use things like that, like, I agree with Just Say No. Say no to poverty. Say no to prohibition. Say no to ignoring trauma. Say no to imprisonment and criminalisation of people who use drugs for whatever reason. There's lots of just say no's. Uh, but the, the just say no of then was just rhetoric. And we continue to be faced with that when politicians lazily uh, come away with one-liners like cut the head off the snake or the dragon, or we're going to increase the police force by 20,000 officers and that will solve the drugs problem. We've moved on from that now, and I think the public have too, and they realise that if everybody in the UK became a police officer, it wouldn't affect the demand for drugs that exist. 
And that's the issue that we have to address is how we incorporate that into our system and regulate it properly and take control of it away from the gangsters, which is something we don't speak about often enough. I heard a policewoman the other day saying to a colleague, and I was standing there, when I go out onto the street, I don't think about organised crime. It's got nothing to do with me. And I didn't say anything at the time because we never fall out with anyone, obviously. But I couldn't think how naive a comment that was. It was shocking. Because the truth is that organised crime permeates every aspect of everyone's life. From the insurances that we take out, from where we can allow our children to play safely, from our uh, climate change, which we've addressed before with COP26. Every single aspect of our day-to-day lives is influenced by criminals and they're funded with our drug laws, which hand that market to them. Where the big thing here is, I have been speaking, I've spoken in universities, uh, I've recently been asked to go and speak in a secondary school when the new session starts, and I've always put the message over you're the people who are going to make the difference. You are the people who are going to see change. Suddenly we're faced that we're the people that are going to see change. It's not, it's going to be in our time. And that is just, that, that is just so exciting as far as I'm concerned. That's, that's going to be my wrap-up point, actually, uh, of we've digested the news a little bit. It's still going to be early days. We've, we've got to see how it all plays out because we've still got the media reaction to come. We're recording this uh, uh, while we're still embargoed. We still don't know how it's going to play out. So on the other side of that, you know, we, we reconvene in a, about a month's time. What do you hope might have happened with regards to the movement and the, and the press dealing with it? Uh, and what's your hopes for the future? And also just one more final reaction of what you're feeling right at this moment. For me, uh, I, think I, I, could, I think I could take individual newspapers and tell you exactly how they're going to report this. Uh, what I hope will have happened in a month's time is I hope a request will be made under Section 30 of the Scotland Act to Westminster for Scotland to take control of drugs policy. Oh, Simon, what do you think? Uh, I've forgotten the question. <laughs> Just what's your broad reaction? What do you think? It was, a, it was a convoluted question, I'll give you that. But what do you think broadly? Don't forget you've got a book as well. What do you think is going to happen generally with regards to the reaction? All the while we're embargoed, it's just it's hypothesis to us of how what, what is going to be conceived and what people are going to take of this. But on the other side of this, in a month's time, what do you hope could happen? Uh, and where do you think we're going to go from this point? Although there's no question this is a huge step that the Scottish Government are taking on our behalf, I look forward to the debate that they've promised us to have involving members of the communities as well, because then we'll learn and we'll be able to impart all the evidence that we've gathered over the years. The lesson here, Jason, for anyone is that you said you've been involved for 12 years, I've been involved for four years. This is not going to be an overnight thing. We're only at the start of the journey now. And what the government have done for us with this announcement is ensured that people who are not interested in this issue until now will turn their heads and think, what's going on here? And start to engage with the debate. And that's what we need. We don't fear the debate, that's for sure. We want as many people as possible to engage with us and listen and apply something that's not very common in our society, 
Well, in this case, it's common sense because the approach we're using currently and have done for 52 years has failed miserably and the status quo is no longer an option. Well, thank you so much, Ian. Oh, sorry, go for it, Ian. Sorry, I think what Simon said earlier sums it up. You know, when we were actually faced with an audience that wasn't pushing back at us, would I step back and had to rethink? And that, I hope, is going to happen more and more in the coming months. I had all these notes, Jason. You know, it's the Superintendents Association. It's about 100 bosses in the room. And I had all these notes and all my defence strategies lined up for them. And the first question we asked them, none of them put their hand up. If you speak to Jim Duffy, he talks about it used to be 80 to 90% of the room would put their hand up. At that first question, and the objective of the 20-minute talk is to get them down to 5-10%, to isolate the, the old Tory in the room that would never advocate legalising drugs. But we've banged that wall down now, as far as the police, as the leadership's concerned. And that, it would be interesting to see how that would be reflected in other forces across the country. It's so true. Like you said, once you have the debate, We've got the evidence, we've got the facts and figures, and we've got the, the moral argument you could definitely subjectively say. Um, it's it's. Do you think that we just need to push on with our communications? Do you think that's how we're going to get there? Yeah, and I think we need to we need to engage from our perspective in Scotland, and, and Ian and I have got a meeting arranged for this purpose. We need to start engaging more with those agencies that are fighting for the same result as us. And we're doing it in isolation to some degree. Ian's met a few of these organisations lately and was hugely impressed. Uh, and I think that's something that we need to forge so that we're all singing from the same song sheet and we can present a united front because some of the stories that they can bring to the table, we're only one part of the equation. It's the law enforcement part of that equation. But the, the communities and the, the tragedies that are involved out with their knowledge are so powerful, they're so poignant, and unfortunately so true. So that's probably our main focus over the next six months or so on the wave of this, is to engage with all of these uh, like-minded communities out there and give them a voice. Because we're lucky, I think, as, as retired law enforcement, when we lift the phone to the press or, we lift the, or, or this weekend, they'll call us in. Radio Scotland or whoever will call us because of that banner of leaks that we have. There's lots and lots of people out there. For every one of us, there's a thousand who have no voice. The victims of the drugs war who are living on our streets, who uh, are living in isolation and have got no hope. And unfortunately, who are dying on our streets currently. So our purpose is to give them a voice uh, moving forward and make sure that it's heard. Would you agree with that, Ian? Yes, I fully agree with what Simon's saying. That is now all the communication. That's a first all, itself, Jason. It's, it is now all about the debate. It is all about communication. And it is about getting all the partners together and putting a united front. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, you two, for speaking of this huge, huge issue that we're dealing with. And thank you for all the work you've done for, for getting to it to this point. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. I look forward to seeing the final cut. It'll probably be five minutes, Ian. 
Yeah, that, but they tend to cut out all the paddle. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.